In Your Money Today, Caroline Wright is going to delve into how a light bulb moment around personal financial planning led to the formation of one CEO's company. Good morning, Caroline. Good morning. In Your Money Today, I'm joined by the co-founder and CEO of Stashaway, Michele Ferrario. Now, you founded Stashaway to provide the kind of investment advice that you felt you needed to make the most of your wealth. So tell us a little bit about your background and the kinds of businesses you were involved in before you got into doing this. Thank you for having me. You can look at my career in two parts. The first one was in and around financial services, and the second part has been around building consumer internet companies. I was with McKinsey, advising banks as a consultant in the early days. I was then a private equity investor. And then I completely switched career and I joined a German company called Rocket Internet, where my job was to launch new companies for them. So I've done that in Italy. I launched two companies there, launched three companies in Pakistan for them. And then Rocket asked me to move to Singapore 12 years ago and take on the leadership of one of the largest investments they had in the region, a fashion e-commerce called Zalora. So I was the chief executive of Zalora. Uh, for around four years. In 2016, I decided to leave Zalora Rocket and I met my two co-founders, Nino and Freddy. Nino has a long experience in building tech companies as a computer scientist by training, as our CTO. Freddy has more than two decades of experience investing for billions of dollars for institutional investors and has been our CIO for a long time. Today is our chairman of the investment committee. Together we started Stash Away. I can see that as the merge of my two experiences, the financial services early experience with the consumer internet one. So kind of making things accessible, simple, easy to understand for everyone. And was the one sort of specific light bulb type moments that you had that you were like, there isn't something like that out there and, and there should be, and I would really like to see it happen. So it was 2016 early 2016, I was the CEO of Zalora. I was actually happy with what I was doing. Uh, I was 35, I had two kids at the time, now I have three, working very long hours and I was decently paid. I was starting to save money and money was flowing in my bank account and staying there doing nothing. And I do have a background in finance, so I knew that that was wrong. And so at a certain point I said, okay, I need to solve this problem. Good problem to have, you know, you have too much yep. cash doing nothing, oh, yeah. but still a good problem, but still a problem. And so I kind of went to the two banks I was banking with and said, hey, I would like to invest my money in a portfolio of ETFs, you know, diversifying my exposure, which yep. is what I used to do in Europe a few years earlier when I had very little money. And the banks made it extremely difficult, both of them. They were just trying to sell me mutual funds with stupidly high fees or insurance product with 20 years lockup or structure notes with very weird risk reward profile and a lot of fees that they don't talk about. And so I did nothing, which is again, also wrong. I randomly found out about the existence of digital wealth management platform in the US. And I learned the term robo-advisor, which I don't like, but I learned that term. And so I went on Google, I Googled RoboAdvisor Singapore, and I couldn't find any. And that's when I thought, haha, maybe that's what I should be doing. And so then I met Nino, I met Freddy, and when I met them, I thought, it's going to be very difficult for anyone to put together a team with this depth of expertise in this region. I think there is a gigantic problem. I have it myself. I've talked to many people, and I know that it's not just me. And then I thought, okay, let's actually make it happen. And that's how we started. So let's understand a little bit more. You said you're not particularly fond of the term robo-advisor, but I think we need to probably understand what a robo-advisor 
is and and then why do you think that the the APAC region seemed so far behind on picking up on them? What people call a robo-advisor is actually one of the products we offer, which is a set of diversified portfolios that give exposure to a few asset classes. So, you know, equities and bonds and real estate and gold using ETFs, so passive instruments, to get that exposure. The reason I don't like the term robo-advisor is that it makes it feel like there is no human intelligence behind it. But in reality, there is a lot of human intelligence and a lot of human touch. You know, in the Stashaway example, while the platform is designed to be completely self-service and you can decide never to talk to anyone, if you want to talk to someone, you can call us and we pick up the phone in eight seconds. You know, try call a bank and see how long it takes. Or if, you know, there is also an embedded WhatsApp button on the app where you can chat with a human being seven days a week. So I don't like the robot term because it feels like there is no humans, but we actually are. There is a lot of humans behind the scenes that actually orchestrate what is hopefully a service that is just a different level from what you're used to. You were asking me why Asia has been a bit maybe behind in development. It's a good question. I think it's a combination of a few things. I think first, the regulatory. I think the regulators uh, open up to digital onboarding. So the fact that you can onboard the client without meeting the client in person, maybe later than other regulators. Uh, I think it's simply a fact maybe nobody started. You know, when I approached the regulator in Singapore, the MAS, in uh, late 2016, we were de facto the first ones to approach them and actually been extremely open to hear us out. And when they realized that we were serious, that what we wanted to do was really help people and doing the right thing, they actually helped us get it up and running. They actually slightly changed the rules in order to make it possible. And then obviously other players followed, but they were very open. So I think one of the reasons is nobody tried, <laughs> and which is sometimes the, just, just the reason why things don't happen. And you spotted that little opening there in the market. Do you think there's a, a big difference in the sort of behaviour of people in the APAC region to, say, Europe or the US in terms of their attitudes and behaviours towards investing? Yeah, I think there are maybe, you know, if you compare to the US, which is the most developed financial market in the world, I think people just think about the topic much more, the topic of investing, the topic of getting your money to work for you much more. Partially it's cultural, partially maybe driven by how the pension system works, but people take much more ownership. I'll give you a, a data. I know in the US, on average, only 14%, one four of people financial wealth is in cash, saving accounts, etc. In Asia, depending on the market, but it's around 40%, 40. It's uh, 36% in Singapore, 42 in Malaysia, over 40 in Hong Kong, and that's a much larger number. So this in practice means that people leverage much less what they have, the, the wealth they're built to build future wealth. They kind of, uh, you know, they don't take action. And this is a very, very significant difference. The second difference, maybe more relevant in certain markets is that a lot of people think that investing is trading, which is obviously not the case. These are very two very different things. You know, one thing is you are betting on kind of a buying something and selling it in you know a day, a month, two months, six months because you think you are outsmarting the market and you are you know buying lower than than the real value is and maybe selling higher than the real value is. Which, you know, you can get lucky, but it's not obvious. But that's trading. Investing is different. Investing is, you know that over time, 
asset classes will rise in value because, you know, for equities, for instance, because earnings overall in aggregate grow over time. And, this, you know, we now have more than 100 years of history and it happened. So there is good odds that it will continue to happen. And the same, you know, because if you invest in a bond, you're you know, lending money to someone, you will receive an interest in return. So that compounds over time and gives you money. And therefore, investing is putting money at work and having the patience for that money to just give you returns over time without trying to bet. So it's not a casino style thing. And I think in Asia, there is some people that mix trading and investing. And I understand that trading may be more fun. And I'm not saying you should not have any fun. If you want to put 5%, 10% of your money in Tesla because you really believe in it, or in Alibaba because you think it's undervalued, or in whatever, fine. But I think everyone should have 60, 70, 80, 90% of their financial wealth in properly invested in diversified portfolios at the right risk level with a long-term view without taking chances. You know, that's, how, that's your future. That's your kid's future. That's how you pay for university. That's how you pay for your retirement. And I think it deserves a bit more thoughtfulness than just, you know, betting on getting it right. One last question. What do you think the next big thing to change the world of investing might be? So I think there is a lot of education that is important. I think people taking more ownership, you know, realizing in Hong Kong, realizing that MPF might not be enough for you to retire comfortably and therefore taking ownership of what you can do. And I think that passes through education. We talked earlier about too much cash. We talked all about trading versus investing. I think understanding some of these simple concepts and uh, think about longer term, building wealth the right way, the way family offices do, the way institutions do, and bringing tools to make it simple to everyone is still what we try to do for the last five, six years, and we will continue to do, and I think what will continue to shape the industry. Now, obviously, artificial intelligence is the talk of the moment, and, you know, it's impossible. We shouldn't have a chat without speaking about it, I guess. Yes. Now, but jokes aside, I do think that there may be areas where artificial intelligence may make it even more accessible. I don't believe in uh, creating black boxes from an investment management perspective where purely AI-driven model makes investment decisions. I believe in actually having investment frameworks that are, yes, algorithmic driven, so there's no human bias, but at the same time, easy to understand, to explain. And again, if you have a long-term view, I don't think there is much to learn, much to earn from AI. But at the same time, there is probably some AI components that will help making simple, make, you know, giving more accessibility to products. And so we'll, we'll keep experimenting to help clients get more access and do the right thing. Great to be able to speak to you today. That's Michele Ferrario, who is co-founder and CEO of Stashaway. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me.